Welcome back to the Physicians Helping Physicians podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Michelle Mudge Riley. I changed careers back in the early 2000s, and I found it difficult to find credible, reliable resources to help me. So once I successfully transitioned to a non-clinical career, I made it my mission to help other physicians who were looking at a possible non-clinical or non-traditional career, whether part-time, full-time, or just diversifying their career with a non-clinical side gig. Today, we're going to talk about a topic that I've gotten a lot of questions about recently, especially after the last conference, disability review. This is something that us physicians don't know about, and it's an area that we need to know about because there's a lot of opportunity here. So I'm going to talk to Dr. Katie Herzog today and hear a little bit more about how she got into disability review um, and what she does. So, hey, Katie. Hi, Michelle. How are you? I'm great. Great. I'm so glad you're here today. Me too. Thanks for the invite. Yeah. So let's just jump right in. Can you tell the listeners a little bit about you and, you know, what your background is and how you found this? Sure. Of course. So my name is Katie Herzog and I am board certified in PM&R and pain medicine. And my experience and entry into the disability review world really began about six years ago. And it was one of those things I got a phone call from a recruiter and I actually picked it up and they started to talk about these things called disability reviews, which I had no idea what they were speaking about. And I thought, huh, well, tell me more. This sounds interesting. And then I was honest. I said, well, this sounds great, but I have never done this before. And at the time the vendor said, oh, well, we can train you. And I said, okay, great. Let's do it. And that was the start. Now, now I've been doing it for about six years and I go, I range between three and five cases a week and have really just enjoyed it and have gotten to the point now where I have colleagues who are asking me how to enter the field. And especially during the pandemic, more and more people kept reaching out to me as I heard horror stories about 401ks being cut and salaries being capped. And my friends were saying, okay, now what are you doing? Because my income hadn't changed. And I said, well, my clinical work has decreased, but I've been able to increase my disability reviews. And everyone said, okay, great. How do I get into this? And as I started kind of looking into it for them, I found that unfortunately the companies that used to train reviewers just we're not doing that anymore. And people were kind of stuck because they needed experience, but they they didn't have experience. And that's where I reached out and I was speaking with John Levesque is my partner. And we started talking about why people need to know how to get into the disability review world and how to make it happen. And we created this online module course, 12 module course to teach just that. Ah, yeah, this is great. So you found this um, before the pandemic, it sounds like way before, right? So I started actually, you know, like I said, six years ago is when I started the reviews, but it really was when the pandemic hit. 
that I started looking into opportunities for colleagues and, and found that this was the problem. And this was when John and I started talking about and really began to create this online course. I see. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's helpful when we have experience in something first and, you know, you already knew what you were doing. And then as you were just singing the praises of this, telling your friends and they were saying, how do I do that? That's when you realize, you know, there is a gap here. So you're an entrepreneur. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I guess so, but no, absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. So I would agree with that. Yeah. So tell me before we get into the course, because I really want to dissect that out and hear a little bit more about it. What's the difference between disability review and utilization review? I know people get confused. Yes, that's a great question. So utilization review is more when they're looking at insurance companies are looking at approvals for medications for different procedures and disability reviews is when the claimant so that's the person who has filed for either a short-term or a long-term disability claim for whatever reason they they have filed for this claim and the insurance company has said well wait a second we need an expert in the field of xyz to review this claim and decide if they these this claimant really does have impairment of the severity to preclude functioning. And what you do in a disability review is that you're given all this documentation from all different providers. And sometimes it will be a couple hundred pages. And I've had reviews up to 5,000 pages. Whoa. And you, <laughs> yes, that, that is a little too long. My sweet spot personally is I like around 2,500. Like, I enjoy that. That's but, still a lot. <laughs> but, but, you know, I, I, I'm one of those crazy people. I like the longer cases, but, you know, uh, most times you can get 750. But um, what you do is you, you look through the documentation and you pull out what's important. And really, you're looking to support what the claimant is saying. So you're looking at physical exam findings diagnostic studies. And yes, it's important what the claimant is telling the providers, but really you need to also see what the providers are saying in their notes and how they're supporting what, what they opine maybe on the attending physician statement. So for example, if a person has had cervical stenosis and they've had a three-level fusion and they're saying they have chronic pain and they can't work, well, with a three-level fusion, I would agree that they have some impairment specifically with range of motion restrictions and limitations and probably lifting and pushing and pulling, but then is it of the severity that precludes functioning outside of ADLs? And that's the big question because that is what you are being hired to look into. And how you do this is you look at the information provided to see if it all fits together. And if it doesn't, then you need to point that out. Ah, that was a great explanation and helps me understand a little bit more. So, well, there are some similarities in this work and utilization review in that you're reviewing cases, you are kind of providing a bit of a second opinion, but, but not exactly. You're just helping another party understand if this is appropriate or not. Am I understanding correctly? 
Yes. And what you're being hired to do as a review expert is to look and see if you opine based on the documentation you're reviewing, if you opine that restrictions and or limitations are supported. And if you do, then you're going to tell the insurance company what those restrictions and or limitations are. And you're going to explain to them in a very detailed report why you opine that they're present. Does that make sense? Yes, yes, for sure. Okay, so you are providing your expert opinion um, as a physician. Would, would you ever be in front of a jury for something like this? That's, that, that's something I've asked a lot of. Okay, knock on wood, <laughs> I have not been in front of a jury before. That does not mean that it can't happen. I will say it is very, very rare. And to, I always point out to people who are wanting to learn more about this industry is that there is no malpractice because you are not meeting this patient, patient, see, I did it. You're not meeting this claimant. You're not taking care of them. You are reviewing a chart record, but there is something that you need to make sure that the vendor that you work with or yourself, if you're going to be completely independent has, and that is an errors and omission policy. And that is protecting you basically from if you would make a mistake in your report and oops, I forgot on page five, it said this, then that would protect you. Um, but while it can happen to be in front of a jury is very, very rare. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. And I can see the differences in this versus expert witness work where, um, you oftentimes do get in front of a jury, but, but even then, you know, so many cases end up settling that it's pretty uncommon. So I just like to make sure we talk about it, that there are a lot of physicians who really do not want to do any of that, that jury work. Oh, I completely understand. I don't want to do, do that jury work. Either. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I hope it never comes to that. But, you know, and that's why it's so important, though, that when you're doing these disability reviews, that you know what you're doing and that you're reviewing the documentation correctly and that you're supporting your opinion very well. Because in the end, if you do end up in front of a jury, you're basically just reading them the report that is based off all the information that was given to you. And if you did a good job, there's there's nothing really for them to go off of. Yeah. Mm -hmm, I can see that. Yeah. So how did you learn then how to understand like where to find this information to back up your, um, your opinions? I mean, I would assume you just find evidence-based peer reviewed articles, but there's probably more to it, right? You mean, as far as when I'm going through the documentation and making my opinion on the restrictions and limitations or how I learned how to do reports? Yeah. Yeah. I guess a little bit of both. How did you learn the process of not only helping to communicate your opinion, but putting it down into a document so that the person who's looking at it understands and that there's no confusion and, and they get what they need. Right. Yes. So as I mentioned before, when I started this six years ago, I was actually approached by a vendor that had a team that, that trained me. And, and I spent a long time being trained and um, over time became the reviewer that I am today. 
But again, unfortunately, especially with the pandemic and cuts that have occurred, these vendors do not have this intense training that they have it they used to offer. Yeah, I know. And they need people who understand. Yeah. So it sounds like what you've created is something really, really necessary. So can you describe then what the course entails for people? Sure. So the course is an online 12 module course. And when John and I started, John Levesque and I, and he's an RN, and just a little background information so everyone knows, we we make a really good team in the sense that I am the doctor who does the reviews, and John has tons of experience in his previous jobs where he actually was the person who used to help train these reviewers. So when John and I started looking into this, making this online course, we wanted to make sure that it covered the background of the disability industry and then, and not just how, what a report was and how to write it. And we also wanted to make sure that it didn't just stop at the end of finishing this course. So what we came up with is we made a 12 module system and it goes, starts off with your learning about ERISA and the difference between short-term and long-term disability. Then we move into the claim team and understanding how even these claims are filed and the procedures for that. And then why it is that a review outside of the insurance company is even triggered and what different specialties are the most common, which I can say almost all specialties are used except for pediatrics and probably pathology. And then from there, we went into the first steps and we talk a whole module about physical restrictions and limitations and, and understanding what information you're using to come up with that. And then in addition, psychiatric, if that is something that is of your specialty. And in addition, a module is also on AP calls. So attending physician calls and co-reviewer communication, which is key because I would say 90% of the reviews that I get now they want me to contact an AP physician. And, and that gets a little tricky sometimes because their AP physicians, a lot of times have filled out these forms saying that their patient cannot work. And I'm saying that the claimant could. And it, there's just a, there's um, some tips and tricks that we provide to making it a good conversation and, and worthwhile. And then we go into actually evaluating the evidence and examining it and understanding something called functional capacity examinations and how those play a part. And finally, assembling your report. And, you know, I want to point out too, that one thing that was important to both John and me is that, like I said, we didn't just stop at the course. After a person completes the course, they also, they have six months, six months of access to us where they can reach out and we can do peer mentoring with them, whether it's talking to them about a job, helping them prep for that interview, or even answering those questions that are going to come up when you're a quote unquote rookie reviewer. That is huge value. That that's something I wasn't aware of. So I'm glad you mentioned that because when you start getting into something, there are always questions that you don't know you're going to have until you have them. 
Well, exactly. And, and that's why we didn't want the course just to stop when you, you when you finish module 12. And by the way, once you finish the course, you also get seven AMA category one credits. So that CMA credits. So that's huge. But, you know, people are, I know that myself, even there's still times every once in a while where I'm like, oh, I just really need to talk this over <laughs> with someone. I need to make sure I'm on the right page. Of course, people can't provide us HIPAA information, but you can talk in general. And most questions, it, again, disability reviews, it's not rocket science, but it, it is its own little realm that you have to understand. And once you get it, you're going to be great at it. But learning those tips and tricks is really going to make you stand out as a stand out as a reviewer and therefore get more opportunities and essentially make more money. hundred percent. Yeah. I'm sure people can make back the money they spend on the course very quickly with these reviews. So that is a no brainer, really. Um, I, I love this. I, I think as physicians, you know, we, we need some training on things that we want to do because we like to feel like we know what we're doing when we're putting our seal of approval or opinion on something. So that's, I think, going to be very helpful too for people as they're kind of thinking about getting into this, as well as, like you said, you do a good job and they're going to come back to you from, with more work. No, and, and that is so important too, because the less there's always a QA team once you submit that report at the vendor that's looking over the final product and the less edits that they have to do, the better it is for them and the more your name is gonna be recognized in the right way. Which for me, that has really been, I, I feel that my success, a lot of it has been that they have, I've become known as a person that has very few edits, if, it, if any, that, I, that my reports are solid and, and that's why I get the opportunities that I do. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. So if a physician is listening and interested in doing this, what specialties besides the ones you already excluded, what specialties are good? Really any other specialty can do this work? Essentially, yes. Now, generally physical medicine and internal medicine, there's two opportunities I should talk about with disability reviews. It's where you're like myself and you're the independent 1099 contract contractor. And then there's also the opportunities where you're working for an insurance company, generally insurance companies. And we kind of go into this in the course, what we do, but insurance companies, they do what you would call the first, the first level review. And that is where their in-house internal medicine and family medicine docs review the cases. Then if for whatever reason, a a review outside and outside specialty is triggered. That's when it goes out to a vendor and a 1099 contractor. So internal medicine and family medicine, generally the opportunities are working for the insurance company and then orthopedic, psychiatry, um, neurology, neurosurgery, pain medicine, infectious disease, PM&R, sports medicine, nephrology, endocrinology. Okay. Et cetera. Yeah. I'm just thinking off my head. Yeah. Different, oh, ophthalmology. I'm thinking about the different specialists that I have done dual reviews with. Um, and those are the ones that are coming to my mind. Those, those are subspecialties that are generally outside of the insurance companies and therefore the 1099 independent contractors. Ah, I see. All right. But there's still opportunities if you're 
internal medicine, for example, and you want to do the 1099 work, is that right? Yes, there is. It's not as much as when you when you decide to work for an insurance company, because again, they they have such a wide, a broad range of knowledge that that's what the insurance companies want for that first level of review. And that's why they like to have internal medicine doctors and family medicine doctors actually on it, part of their team. Ah, I see. Okay. That's interesting. Um, what about board certification? Is it required to do this? It's required to be board certified, board eligible. And the reason that is, is that when it, the case, let's say an attorney is involved, which often happens, if an attorney is involved and is reviewing a report of someone that's not board eligible or board certified, then that's not going to stand very well for the insurance company. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Okay. That's good. Good information. And um, on that same note, Michelle, that's a, that's also why generally to do this, they want people who are, who have had three years, you know, they're three years outside of training, mm-hmm. not just, you just completed training and, and you're going to start a disability review experience is important. You know, generally they'll say three to five years. Okay, good. Yeah. I'm glad you made sure that was clear. What about practicing while you do this work? Is that expected or is it something that is frowned upon? Can you explain? It's, it depends on the opportunity. It's really what you want to make of it. Uh, it's definitely not frowned upon. <laughs> Some insurance, I, I still do clinical work, which I love because it, as I talk about on our website, um, it has allowed me to have some balance in my life. You know, I, I enjoy the non-clinical work where I don't have to worry about billing and patient, mm-hmm. patient notes, and then I still get to enjoy my patients. But so it depends on the insurance company. Some insurance companies are very particular and they'll say that only a certain percentage of a reviewer's income or clinic or percentage of time can be devoted to non-clinical work. Some of them don't have anything, any requirements, and it, it's never even asked of you. And I can tell you that just based on my experience, I have come to learn that every year, some of my vendors will send out emails asking specific questions about what percentage of work I do, and some won't. And I know it's just based on their relationships with different insurance companies and the, that insurance company, their requirements. Yeah. That's right. Okay. Now there are a lot of physicians. There are a lot of physicians that, you know, this field used to be thought of as, oh, this is the retirement field. (laughs) Um, And that's not really the case anymore, but it's still, you could do this job and not be in any clinical practice anymore. Um, And the, and it's the, the opposite is true too. You can have the best of both worlds. Yeah. And that's great. That's, I think some physicians are, are wanting to not be in clinical practice anymore. And so it's nice to know that there's not that requirement, but then there are others who don't want to completely stop patient care like you. And it's good to know that they can do that and still do this work too, and augment their income or diversify their income or just diversify the variety of activities that they do every day. Right. Mm-hmm. Yes. And, and that's what I love about this job. One, 
I find it very interesting going through uh, different charts and learning what other providers are doing in the different fields. And I, it really, it, it never bores me. But then I also, I love that I get to decide how many cases I'm going to do and I get to decide my own schedule. And it gives me that independence that I really love. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can understand that. I value that a lot too. So last question, where would physicians find this work? Because I know that, you know, I'll get that question or you probably get this question a lot. Well, how do I find these jobs? So you, you don't want to get all trained up and then, you know, with nowhere to go, <laughs> how do you get this work? Exactly. So disability review experts, we actually, with the course, we provide a list of companies that are accepting applications for these positions. And then, and afterwards, you know, after the course, my suggestion is, is that you apply to these positions and you let John and I help you with any interview questions and interview prep, because many of these vendors actually part of the interview process is they'll have you do a sample report. So you'll definitely want to shine on that. Um, and, and, uh, if you don't do the course and you're still looking for opportunities, uh, Google is always my friend. <laughs> I hear you. Sometimes that is the best place to start. It sounds so dumb, but it really is a great starting point. Yes. Yeah. All right. Well, good. I, our time has gone so fast today. I, I would love to finish up though on a really positive note with what is your favorite part of doing this work? Oh, wow. Just one thing. <laughs> um, I would say I feel that I'm using my medical knowledge in a different way that, that I find very exciting. When I went to medical school, I was, you know, I never even knew that there were non-clinical opportunities out there. And I feel like that is really such a shame because there's so many fabulous opportunities and this is one of them. And I just, I enjoy it. And I think it's great. Yeah. I love how you love this so much. I mean, not only do you want to do it, but you want to teach other physicians because you just feel like it's a great, great opportunity that everyone should not only know about, but be able to pursue. I love that. So thank you for sharing your story. You're welcome. Thanks for having me on. Well, listeners, thank you for being on today and listening to another story on the Physicians Helping Physicians podcast. If you would like to check out the course, I recommend you do so. It's again, CME certified, and you can go now and um, learn a little bit more. I will put the link in the show notes and good luck. Let us know how it goes. Have a great day, everyone. Thanks for taking the time to listen to this Physicians Helping Physicians podcast. If you are jazzed up after listening to this, hit that subscribe button or check out more at Physicians Helping Physicians, www.phphysicians with an S on the end.com. Thanks for listening. We appreciate you.